Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 295. Um, how you all doing, guys? Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this week's guest is the wonderful Fern Cotton. Um, we had such a good chat. It's the first time we'd really met properly, properly. And genuinely, I feel like we've come away as as, as real-life pals instead of... It, it, the same happened with Connie Huck. We, we kind of hung out for a bit. In fact, the same happened in that we both did each other's podcasts. Um, I guested on uh, on Fern's amazing Happy Place podcast, and that's going to be out in November in in the new series that starts then. Um, and we did back to back. We we recorded Happy Place first, so it's weird that you get in this second, but I kind of like that to mix it up. And then we did distraction pieces, and again we could have chatted for hours. We recorded it the wonderful. Soho Radio's new podcast studios show so um shouts out to them um yeah and it was a lovely chat and we've had a few chats since then um after our conversation I can't remember if it was stuff we talked about on this one or or happy place um Fern spoke to um her mum I believe about her granddad's uh stammer obviously that leads me to last week's Stammer special. I know I mentioned it on the Daisy Haggard uh, podcast, but um, the love I got for that special was amazing. And thank you so much to everyone that engaged in International Stammer Awareness Day. Um, I did a takeover at the, on the Stammer UK Instagram. That's at S-T-A-M-M-A UK. Um, you can see the answers I did on the, in their story. We've, I believe it was saved as a highlight. So if you want to go and look at that, it also included some pictures of me at school, uh, a picture of me with Tom Hardy and a little story about a trip that we went on, a road trip that we had, and a few other things. So yeah, go over to Stammer UK and follow them. That'd be great. S-T-A-M-M-A. But yeah, that special was amazing. The three people who shared their story, George, Owen um, and Natalie, it was, yeah, it was overwhelming and then the ad campaign that went up on billboards around london and all sorts of things like that was mad too so yeah a lot of love for that obviously i'm going to wrap this intro up because you need you're not here to listen to me ramble on um and let's listen to fern as ever we're brought to you by speech com. got a lot of stuff there winter stuff we've got the coolest gloves ever made we've got scarves beanies all sorts of good stuff so head over there and patreon.com slash scroobius pip you get bonus podcast episodes you get poem of the month all sorts of good stuff so yeah i hope you enjoy this you'll probably notice that you can tell that we've we're doing two podcasts back to back because at points we switch who's interviewing who um on happy place i kept wanting to ask phone questions and on this she kind of asked me a few every now and then so yeah it's a really good chat. Uh, I can't recommend Happy Place enough as well, so go and check that series out. Um, let's get on with the podcast. This is episode 295 with Fern Cotton. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. Right, if you're good to go, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. jump in. Let's do it. 
Right, I'm I'm joined today by Fern Cotton. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really um, honoured to be on your brilliant podcast. Oh, Thank you. Oh, we're doing an exciting thing where we're going back to back. I'm coming yeah. on yours and, and, and you're coming on mine. And I like that because I was saying in our conversation that I normally need to find a way to get us in a comfortable zone. But if we've just, just had an hour-long conversation, we're, we're perfectly fine. We're there. But the, the note I did have to make us instantly connect is that you, you, you were born exactly one month after me so you're the f- i'm august 3rd, 3rd of august 81, 81 wow yeah. and you're 3rd of september 81. wow that's so, crazy but you would have been the year are. above me at school because i was the yeah, eldest in my so. year yeah and i was yeah I, you I, would have been the yeah, youngest, I would have been the youngest how funny it's that slight, wow but we will have month, all mate. the same cultural references growing up exactly and it's funny because i obviously know you're massively into hip-hop and that's your genre that you love and i'm about to start interviewing you i know it's completely wrong go ahead Um, i was doing it in our conversation so it's fine (laughs) i feel more in control both of them um but it's interesting how you stumble across certain genres because i had a weird mix of pop music so handsome are really big yeah. at a point in our teens when we were about 13 14 yeah. i loved hansen yeah. but weirdly also i mean you say hansen were big umbok was big umbok that was yeah, about i knew really. all the songs i was an uber I fan it. i had the christmas album yes. everything um but then weirdly juxtaposed with led zeppelin so wow. they were my two reference points that That's were wildly great. varying but how did you get into how was hip-hop your thing um or it took a while i was first into like punk and metal and stuff like right. that and then I, f- I found the beastie boys and cypress hill and people mm. like that and that was the i saw it as a, a natural c- c- a connection punk was the british voice of the voiceless yeah and rap was the american voice of the voiceless it was generally um working class people who had quite rightfully issues with the way society was going mm. and uh and put it directly into their music and, and a bit of, of anarchy you sort of yeah. attracted to that yeah, yeah. completely that yeah. kind of uh, particularly at that age that teenage a rebellion yeah. type thing so it was a a natural fit what uh, was music always a big thing for, for, for you growing yes. up then i assume from the, the zeppelin side you were getting that from your parents yeah big time. were they big music fans massively my my mum and dad still are actually my mum's got some like very old taste in music like really wildly different she'll be like banging to ludovico inaudi who i absolutely adore but then she'll listen to like some crazy rock tune that she's really into she really makes it. it up and my dad's probably slightly more uh, traditional in the fact that he still loves the doors they both love like soul and reggae and stuff yeah. from their youth so we always have music playing like especially if there was a barbecue it'd be like gypsy kings and Brilliant. a bit of Rochford, you know some really nice little moments that i remember from my childhood but it was definitely something that they felt just passionate about they weren't musicians they yeah they were both, you know, I'm from a working class background. My dad's a sign writer. My mum had about four jobs. She was a dental nurse and a cleaner and all sorts of stuff. But it just always felt quite joyful. That was like a joyful part for all of us of our home life. Um, and then I guess just as a teenager, I found my own way from loving all the rock bands like Fleetwood Mac and stuff they were listening to, to then not wanting any anarchy and going, oh, sweet little Hanson, they seem like nice boys who aren't scary. I think I like them. And and like the All Saints and, you know, just kind of real like the 90s pop. And then Britpop, me and my brother were both massively into Blur and Oasis. Probably a little bit more Oasis. We weren't like hugely in one camp, but Britpop felt exciting and and wonderful. Um, And then I got seriously into it. When I reached about 19, I met a really good friend of mine called Sarah Kaywood, who was yeah. on the Girly Show back yes. in the day and great TV presenter. And she was out gigging every night. 
And that yeah. always felt too scary for me because, like you, I didn't live in London. I was in the suburbs. So yeah. to go into London to see a gig was like, that's not for me. That's way too scary. That's what cool it's people do. So intimidating. But I started hopping into her sort of social life and we went to just the most brilliant gigs. Like literally every other night would be at a gig. Amazing. And that's when I really got it and it became my everything. Yeah, I love that. Um, I also love the kind of, the way that we can at times just drop into the, the social norms despite how much we're fighting it. Like you will have had the rebellious stage and you're like, look, I just like Hanson, okay? Yeah. And I think we have it a lot now with <laughs> with um, agenda stuff with kids. Mm. I think it's okay for little girls to, to love pink. What isn't okay is for it to be f- forced upon them Completely. or for them to feel they have to. I've I've got friends who are parents who have been gutted recently that their kid has g- g- got into ponies or princesses or something. They're like, we've not brought them up like this. It's like, you have to remember that, that that's not... That isn't the bad thing. Yeah. You should be able to like anything you like. But the bad thing, as said, is when it's you're being, here's the only thing you can like because you're a girl. Absolutely. Or here's the only thing you can like because you're a boy. Absolutely. As long as you're open to these things. But yeah, I love it when those things just <laughs> drift in. That you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm rebellious. I love this. And then a, a certain pop act or something <laughs> will just grab you and be like, I love this them. is exactly what I'm meant to like, isn't it? I'm, they're so targeting me and they've got me. They, they they've had they've me. nailed it. You know what? My passion ran deep with Hanson. So <laughs> one time I went, <laughs> one time I was already working in TV at this point. I was 15. Yeah. And one of my mates who worked in the industry got me tickets to go and sit in the audience of Live and Kicking because Hanson were on. Amazing. And it was one of the best days of my life. I was like two metres away from them. They were singing one of their B-sides, which I knew at the time. And I was right near Zoe Ball, who <laughs> is now like a friend of mine yeah. which is still weird and I was completely in awe of her couldn't believe they were there crazy and then a little while later two wonderful Hansel moments in my adult life this is going to be about Hansel only this podcast yeah, that's, I'm that's so sorry so at one at one particular Hansen gig I was working on top of the pops they said would you go and cover the Hansen gig yes I'm there I crowd surfed from the back of the venue yes. to the stage and then played tambourine during Umbop. Oh, wow. What a dream come true. Yeah, that's got to be perfect, right? It was, and I was probably like 23 at this point, but still that 14-year-old inside was like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And then a few years later, Greg James <laughs> from Radio 1 took me to a Hanson gig because they were on his show and they sang Umbop a cappella to me and me only in oh, their wow. dressing room. And I could have cried. I, it was amazing. I've only met Greg J- J- James once, and he's he's one of my favourite people because we had he's this really interesting moment where we were both on the on Nihal's uh, review show. Mm. Is when he was doing the review show, and a Radio One daytime stuff. There'll be a lot of snobbery yeah. over from from real music fans yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of what they play and. Again, I think there's just a realisation that not everything has to be for you. Yeah. It's kind of, it's fine for there to be other stuff. But I was on there with a, a music journalist and someone else, and there was a particular song. It was, I can't remember, I can't even remember what song it was, but the music journalist gave it n- n- 0.5 out of 10. I was going low anyway, but that just made me feel comfortable. I was giving <laughs> it 3 out of 10 or 4 out of 10. And then it got to Greg, and he was like, this is awkward because this is my favourite song at the moment. It's my <laughs> it's my song of the week. I got them to record a special version. I've given it nine out of ten. <laughs> but it was beautiful because it was like, oh right, he's just really into that it's stuff. That it. makes it even better. It's I understand when people have annoyance if they if you hear and Zane never did this, but for example, if Zane Lowe was suddenly daytime radio one and he was playing all these songs that you know he's not into yes. and having to pretend he's into them, then I can see the conflict. But I love that Greg was just like, no. 
I love, I love it. it. This is yeah. great. And, and Hugh Stevens is another example. Absolutely. When he's covered, because he's got all this credible music taste as well, people then think, but you talk to Hugh, he's like, I love pop. He loves pop I music. He's a I think pop it's the nerd. Best. Yeah. Totally. And it's like, and I hate it when people are really sort of discriminative about certain bands, like people that hate Coldplay. I fucking love Coldplay. Yeah. I think what they do is incredible. My son at the moment is obsessed with them and he's learning all their songs off YouTube on the keyboard. And it's giving him this like great passion for music and understanding how you can, you know, create rhythm and and just that beautiful, you know, young mind being sort of infiltrated by something really creative. And what they do is really special and their live shows are great. And I hate it when people are kind of a bit snobby about certain bands or whatever. Yeah. It's like everyone can like anything. There's no yeah. rules. There's not like this is cool, this isn't. It's what lyrics hit home, which yeah. melody moves you. You know, it could be any genre and you can like a plethora of genres at the same time. And you don't have to like stuff to respect it like, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest Coldplay fan but I think anytime I hear someone really hating on them I'm like I want you to be forced to go and watch them live oh my god because you can't not cry it's amazing I, I, I remember one year when we were doing Glastonbury and they and they were on mm. and just being like oh Coldplay are alright but it's not really my thing but I'll go and watch it's the main stage all this and I bawled my eyes out for certain did. songs because they've written them so well to hit to pluck those yeah. strings, it's like that's what music's for, that. isn't it? It's to it's to bring out whatever dormant emotion is there or whatever memory needs to be released. It's like connecting with that, and that's the and it could be you know at the moment I'm because of my mum really into Ludovico and Audi. I'm listening to yeah. all of these released seven albums this year. Amazing, amazing. amazing. Um, he's actually on the next series of Happy Place because I sort of stalked him and managed to get an interview with him. Brilliant. And you know what his mu- his music moves me. I saw him at the Barbican and I was grinning inanely the whole way through. And I'm not a classical music fan or even someone that would delve into that world to explore it. But he's got me. Yeah. And um, I just think it should be without rules and without boundaries. Completely. I think it's one, it's one of the most exciting things about music is the effects it has on you live because mm. that's something that with all the technology that's changing I can't see anyone ever replacing that you like cannot. the money's gone out of music from downloads and this kind of thing but live has never been bigger because being in a room with those people hearing that at that time and sharing it and it is it's it's a shared thing I've I've told this story tons of times now but the example I always give is I was driving home once and there was a live Bon Jovi gig on the radio and Bon Jovi or Bon Jovi I'm mm. not against them but it's not like I'm some big fan but I was just hair standing up because hearing 10,000 people or whatever all sing along to anything, it's such a unifying thing. And I think you can't overlook how powerful it is. Um, After, this is suddenly going to get really heavy, but after the Manchester um, bombings, that concert, you if you're not watching it, you could be cynical and say, oh, it's all this, it's just, it's all nonsense, it's not actually going to make a difference, what's it doing? Seeing... Liam, do live yeah. forever. Just thinking about yeah. it now, I'm starting to well up. I know, Just, it was a those lyrics and those moment. people in that room. It's like that is the essence of humanity. No matter how negative we it's feel collection. about Brexit or Trump or any of the other things that are bad about humanity, they're the moments that make you go, "Oh wow!" Yeah. Like when Prince died and people, were, there was a vigil and people were singing Prince songs. It's like, oh, it's yeah. beautiful. It's, it's people coming together and. Sharing something that science can't explain. Oh, 
Absolutely. And also that our minds can't really even explain or, or figure out because yeah. we're so busy constantly ruminating on everything going on in our lives or in the in the bigger world and thinking about the problems that exist in our lives and outside and and all the things we hate about ourselves and this and that. And music breaks through. Yeah. Music cuts through all that shit and yeah. it gives you, it alleviates you, it relieves you, it connects you to other people. It, it helps you make sense of certain things in your life. Like Completely. I've certainly had those moments where songs have, I thought, oh my God, that's how I feel, but I didn't actually even realise it. Yeah. And those words are what I'm on a subconscious level, you know, thinking. And it just cuts through all the bollocks. And like you say, at that very tragically, um, that sort of tragic concert, but beautiful concert because of all those people together for awful yeah. reasons, it was that connection and and all those people being together and hearing those songs and singing and having each other's backs it's um, and it's community and it's yeah. i think when you find your genre or one of your genres or your band you do feel like you're part of something yeah. and for people that have been dealt um you know a hand of loneliness or just feeling excluded in life or not part of something being in that kind of community or little gang or pocket of people that love passionately a genre or a band, you you can, you know, free yourself from feeling so isolated constantly. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. It really is. It's, it's one of the reasons I've always kind of refused to give much detail on it, any of my lyrics because I think it's really important that once you put it out there, it doesn't belong to you anymore. That's interesting. The meaning doesn't belong to me anymore. The meaning belongs to the person who's heard it mm. and they've interpreted it in their way and it means the world. And if I turn around and go, oh no, that's not about a relationship, that's about mm. my mum or that's about, uh, you know, this 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 car I really liked. It's like, mm. no, I, I stop having that ownership because I think those connections are huge. There's been songs I've heard that are literally word for word about my life yes. in my teens. Yes. And they're not, but they fucking are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really are. And it's like, I don't want it explained. It's like, I know that's about that girlfriend at that time yeah. and what I moved on to after that and this job and what I hated here. That's what that's about. Mm. I, I won't hear otherwise. No, and also it can take you back there. Like you regress yeah. in a millisecond. You hear yeah. a song and you are back feeling those same feelings. And I think some element of like that regression is quite healthy to, yeah. you know, move on from things and, and whatever. And it's, it's just a magical alchemy that no one can really grasp or explain. And, and, and like you say, luckily that gig experience will never die. Like yeah. you cannot replace, it's irreplaceable. Yeah. And forever a, a beautiful, special moment of, of connection with other people. Yeah. We, uh, we did an episode of my podcast, which we did. It's, it was in, tandem with a podcast called hardcore listing that do t top fives of anything and we just did top five songs that make us cry mm. and we drank gin while we were doing oh, it so it's a two-hour podcast with us in tears but Heavenly. there's a song or, or everlong by foo fighters oh, i, I put that it. on to cry sometimes because mm. it reminds me of a mate of mine who passed away and it's this huge thing but i think crying and having those emotions can be a really positive thing again oh, in beautiful. society we really demonize these things as weakness or whatever else i'll put that on to have a cry as I'm yeah, walking yeah, yeah. home. And I'll be walking home. Hopefully, you know, it's raining today, so no one will notice, but I'll <laughs> pop that on and just have a, a, a cathartic cry. It's so cry. good to cry. And it's a beautiful thing. I love crying in the car. I had a really <laughs> shitty week a couple of weeks ago, not for like anything particularly tragic, but yeah. just a bunch of shit that was going on or whatever. And... Um, and I just discovered more recently this Australian band called the Teskey Brothers, who I'm bang into, and the lead singer's got this 
just incredible, like soulful, meaningful voice. Yeah. And there's a song, I think it's called Hold On or the lyrics say Hold On. And, um, and I was in floods of, I was fine, sat in the car, a bit fucked off, put the song on and it just all came out. Yeah. And then I arrived at work and I thought, I feel all right now. It's out good. of me. Yeah. I can deal with it. And it is that release and that catalyst to just get shit moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's something I want to kind of talk to you about because I think it's weird because one of the questions I'll often ask is kind of was presenting or whatever else always your goal as a child, but you kind of started doing it as a child. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a weird question, but I think that it's really interesting to have w- watched your journey in that way because it feels like you've learned so much and figured things out so much and it, it certainly feels with 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 happy place and things like this is it's you've found sp- sp- spirituality is always an awkward word for me because I don't believe yeah, it so yeah, much yeah, I stuff, know what you but mean. you've found a spirituality and, yeah. a, and, a, and a zen and a way of, of coping on these things mm. but you've had to do it in kind of high pressure and yeah. high profile situations so kind of less start at the beginning mm. how was that as a 15 year old to be I mean we've talked about c- connecting with punk because it's anarchic at that kind of age or hip-hop or wherever else because your teens are a really emotional time Mm. and how was that to go through those times on tv as part of something seemingly grander and to be exposed to yeah criticism and the all the doubts that you any teenager would have but you're having it on tv in the public eye yeah it's funny because you know, that first initial, I guess probably four years of being on TV from 15 to 19 were just brilliant because I came from, you know, a very loving household, but a working class family. I didn't know anyone in the industry or anything to do with that world. Weirdly, so mad about it. It's not like you've come from a celebrity family. No, no, not at all. At that age, it's so rare to break through. I mean, I've got a weird connection that people often write about in the press, but it had no bearing on my career. My granddad's cousin was uh, Bill Cotton, who was one of the controllers at the BBC in, like, the 70s. Right. And then before him, his dad, so my granddad's uncle, was, like, a huge TV host back in the day called Billy Cotton. He had, like, a big band show. And it was the most watched TV show, you know, ever on the BBC. It was a huge deal back, like, a long, long time ago. Um, People realised how... all these industries are and how short-lived power can be in those yeah, things. Yeah, I know. No, it's probably no influence whatsoever. No, it wasn't. I mean, I met... nepotism. Yo, absolutely. You've inherited the yeah, role I, re- of... I, I really worked my way through the family tree <laughs> for that one. So, no, my, I, I mean, I met Bill, my granddad's cousin, once when I was seven. And yeah. that that's where that story <laughs> ends. But anyway, I... I had a very normal upbringing. I loved dance and drama. So I went to, outside of my regular state school, I went to a local church hall and did dance any day of the week I could, drama any night of the week I could after school. I was absolutely obsessed. I gave zero shits about uh, academia. I just wanted to do that. And I wanted to be an actress and that was my thing. So from about 12, I would audition for anything, you know, TV adverts, whatever it might be, and theatre shows, loads of the- like local theatre shows and loved them. And then at 15, went randomly to this audition that I'd, I'd got and I thought it was for an acting job. I was doing sort of like a kid's drama. And right. so when they said sit in front and talk to the camera, I was like, what the hell is this? Had no clue. Somehow blagged my way onto this TV show Disney Club at yeah. 15 and it was brilliant. 
I mean, there's no bad bit about it. Yeah. I, I didn't go to school for two to three days a week, which I thought was amazing. It's a treat, yeah, definitely. A right treat. I had these gorgeous chaperones called Jerry and Sue who looked after me when I was at work, who were like a second set of parents who were just wonderful and massive. They're, they're lovely. I haven't seen them for years and I've got to get in contact, but yeah. massive love to them. And I was interviewing you know, five and bewitched and Amazing. and all these, you know, famous people at the time. And um, and it was just extraordinary because it was not my world. I felt like I just yeah. stepped into the TV. It was bizarre. And it must have been exciting because that was at the point it had been brought over to the UK because the Disney Club was a huge thing in America. Huge, and it's yeah. where Britney came through and Timberlake and all these, yeah. Ryan Gosling, all sorts yeah, yeah, of yeah. Disney Club kids. But Thank fuck we did no singing on our one. There was no yeah. singing, no dancing. Ours was just like, here's a cartoon. I could deal with that. But that that's was what's fine. great. It means they're going to have found young people, but then they're going to really put good guests in front of them. They're not. Oh, it's yeah. not just going to be some random kids show. It's going to be, as you said, here's, as silly as it sounds, five were a big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, five <laughs> cross genres. Five got the alternative kids into them as well because they had a bit of rap. He had an eyebrow piercing. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, yeah, my eyebrow piercing eyebrow, came yeah. because of of Jay from Five Guys, <laughs> so yeah, that must have been. It was brilliant. It was all fun, and I just felt completely exhilarated by the whole thing. There was yeah. no bad side. I, I wasn't really aware of public opinion because it was pre-social media. Because you know there was hardly even mobile phones at this yeah. point. I'm so lucky that that Simpler was the, times, the start. Yeah. It was amazing. And then I think the shift changed for me at 19. So I was kind of infantilized to some extent for that yeah. period of my life because I didn't really have a rebellious teenhood. I didn't really, you know, I went out drinking a bit with my friends like any mm. other teenager, but I wasn't excessive. I wasn't looking for anarchy or rebellion. And then at 19, 20, you know, it's then slightly weird to be introducing cartoons when you are essentially an adult. Yeah. So I knew I had to make this huge leap without any, you know, kind of baby steps there from kids TV into normal adult TV. And that luckily was top of the pops. That was my first gig into that, that sort of world. Um, A a transition, right? Because there is a lightness to to, to top of the pops. So it is very much an adult crowd, an adult audience, but there's, there's a, there's, uh, there's, there's a pop element to it. It's got, there's going to be, that's going to tie into what you'd, come up on I guess totally but I think what I felt the 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 pressure I felt was that people still thought I was 15 and I was a kid and I had to prove that I was a woman and that I you know was an adult and thinking about it at that point I guess Top of the Pops was kind of leaning towards the kind of more slightly snarky presenting at points if you know I mean there was was certainly a period where it was kind of yeah trying to be a bit cooler and trying to at times be ironic and things yeah, like that. So, yeah. so that must have been a weird thing. This is pre-Andy Peters because he took level. it over and made yes. it very pop. This is like Chris Cowie years where it's very cool. Yeah. You had the strokes and, you know, amazing bands coming on to do really quite edgy stuff. And I yeah. felt not edgy at all. Yeah. So I felt I really had to kind of prove that I was an adult for years. Like yeah. I'm talking a decade. I had to prove to the audience and to, to the TV industry and to the radio world essentially as well because I started to move into radio that I was a fucking woman yeah. because I was still seen as a kid and even still now I will occasionally get treated as someone much younger than I am yeah. which is a 38 year old woman who has two children and has you know a very adult life and a home and yeah. whatnot. I still sometimes get treated like oh, you know, wacky TV kids presenter person. And it gets fucking wearing. You know, I didn't, I really felt the pressure there. And 
Um, and I was really aware of it. And then I kind of had my teen years in my 20s. Right. And I was out every night and I was looking for rebellion and I was hanging out with cool people, you know, whatever that means. But yeah. it was people that I didn't feel I fit into their group, but I forced myself into that situation. And I wanted to, like, look cool and, you know, whatever, which was bollocks because I was still an absolute geek inside who yeah. loved <laughs> Hanson and liked going to bed early and yeah. still, you know, like just being at home with my nan and chilling out. But I thought everybody else needed to see this other side of me to be accepted as an adult. Well, there was so a pressure at that point on presenters, wasn't there? Because there was mm. a real thing of presenters being out with musicians and bands and stuff like that. I think people like Makita Oliver, who was, who was amazing and people like that, but they yeah. were very much known for also being out being wild with Lily Allen or, yeah, or, or, yeah, or whomever yeah. it's else. It's kind of, it's quite a strange thing to have as part of your job and a dangerous thing depending on your personality. Because if you can justify yeah. as I need to do this for work, that's when it can become damaging addiction no i lost all sense of self because you've yeah you've got that it's oh i need to be here this is what i have to do yeah i didn't i don't know if i know if i was even doing it for work i just thought i'm not enough i'm not cool enough i'm not smart enough i'm not defined by any part of my skill set enough to be great or respected Mm. so i just lost who i was completely and it's only been really in the last probably four years since I started building this beautiful world of happy place that I'm just so passionate about and enjoying creating, um, that I'm just me again. Yeah. And I do whatever I feel I want to do. And if people like that, brilliant. You know, join the gang. Let's make this conversation bigger and brighter. But if you don't, that's fine. Yeah. You don't have to listen. You don't have to be part of it. I don't need to be cool, respected, whatever. I just am following my intuition and I didn't for a very, very long time. It's such a huge thing to realise because I think in in that kind of industry, mm. you're always comparing yourself to someone else. Oh, There's always toxic. a fear of comparison. There's always a fear of you're not achieving enough. And that can be a, a weird thing. What do you think changed to make you kind of able to snap out of that because i i find um spending any time with tiny humans uh makes you have to drop any pretension oh yeah and any so (laughs) i don't have any kids of mine i've got a godchild and things like that but everyone i know who's had kids it's really helped them in their 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 careers in entertainment such because you have to drop any idea of being cool or being this person because you're just your mum to to, to, to them and at, at times you're cringeworthily embarrassing mum. Oh, yeah. In times you're cool mum, in times you're strict mum, but that's it. There's no kind of... The example I always give is I, I was at a festival with Billy Bragg, uh, and I love Billy Bragg, absolutely mm. idolise him, and his son was there and we had a quick chat and his son was so embarrassed of his dad. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, so... How can you be? Billy Bragg can't be called dad. <laughs> no one can be called dad. There's know, no point in trying. It. Well, I've got stepchildren who are teenagers <laughs> and me and my husband are unbelievably uncool at all points. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's where they rip the shit out of both of us yeah. constantly. So yeah, that definitely. And, and you are constantly grounded. You know, for instance, there was one time where I was making this really sweet documentary about Coldplay uh, for Sky Arts about ghost stories and it was a beautiful process. And I'd literally just wrapped interviewing Chris, beautiful, deep interview, got home. My son, who is nearly seven, was two. And I got home and he shit on the bathroom floor. <laughs> And I was there scooping it up with a toy spade. And I was like, there we are. 
There we are. That's the that's the real me right there with the plastic spade and a turd in my hand. So there is an element of grounding. It's reality, isn't and it? And an element of, and your priorities shift. But but really, I, I can't fully put it on that. I think it, that changes most people. I think mm-hmm. some people reach these sorts of seminal moments or epiphanies earlier on without any, you know, family change or shift or having becoming parents or whatever. But also I had, and I'm never too specific, but I had a big patch of depression for, right. I don't know, a year, two years. It's a big blur because a lot of it I'm still processing, mm. dealing with, and I find, I'm finding it easier to talk about because so much of my work revolves around honesty and yeah. and talking about things to hopefully bring solace and connection. But there is a lot of it that I haven't made peace with. Yeah. But I had a huge patch where everything kind of didn't make sense anymore and sort of fell to shit, essentially. And there was a lot of shame attached to this period and embarrassment and and then another sort of shedding. So I'd had this loss of sense of self in my 20s where I just was trying to be the opposite of what I naturally was. I was yeah. rebelling against where I came from, who I was, how uncool I felt. And then I shed that and I, and I had like, well, who the fuck am I? Yeah. You know, all of that went, just everything. It was really debilitating and quite isolating, well, very isolating. And I had to rethink everything. And I made lots of personal changes in that time and lots of career changes in that time. And I sort of incrementally built myself back up to be who I was before my 20s, essentially. Wow, yeah. And I went back to, well, who was I as a kid? Who was I as a teenager? Because that's that's the real me. I was just being vividly me. Mm. So who is that? And it took a long time, but over the years, and I've been very lucky that my work has encouraged me and and moved me into that space even more so to just be me. And all the things I was scared about, talking about depression, talking about panic attacks... There's some stuff I've talked about more recently on Elizabeth Day's podcast, actually, around uh, eating disorders. And mm-hmm. I, I'd never talked about that before. I've been so terrified, like absolutely terrified to tell these tales. And then when you tell them, the reaction is the complete opposite to what yeah. you thought. Like yeah. when I released Happy, <clears throat> I, the night before I thought, I have made the biggest mistake ever. I need to go to all WH Smith and Waterstones and get every book. No one can read this fucking book. Yeah. And then the reaction wasn't like one of dismissal or, you know, people not wanting to work with me anymore or my friends not understanding me. It was it was connection. Mm. So I'm slowly teaching myself that and realizing it and then hopefully acting in a positive way because of it. It's I mean, it's it's an amazing thing to see the revelations there and the realizations because mm. I also think all of it's completely natural in in our formative years when we start to form our characters it's quite n- natural to lean into the stuff that we're being told m- makes us good yeah if someone's saying oh I like that about you it's like oh I'll be more of that mm. that's magnified if you're doing that on tv and you're having to play a version of you that is something else and then people are saying this is great you should be on our tv show then you get to a point where you've built yourself into that person mm. because that's just what you feel you should be. And at some point you have to go, well, when the cameras turn off, am I am I still that person? Does that make me false or fake? There's so, there's so much to question. There. Oh, no, there was definitely a TV me and then a normal me. Yeah. Like, and there's not anymore. Yeah. If I'm doing this, if I'm going on a TV show, if I'm going on radio, if I'm doing my own podcast, 
I am just me now. But I was yeah. too scared to be because I didn't think that was... Like, who's going to be interested in that? I yeah. just thought, how could you possibly be interested in who I am, what my values are, what I have to say? I didn't see any value in it, which I look back and think that's a massive shame because we all have value. Yeah. Every one of us, in whatever tiny way, has beautiful value to give. And I did not see that in myself at all. Yeah. So I did become, I guess, an accentuated version of myself to to be liked. Yeah. Now I couldn't give a fuck about that. Yeah. <laughs> but also the the caveat to that, to to people saying you're brilliant being more like this, is is the other side of the coin. People saying, Well, I don't like this about you. And then you become wildly insecure about every little thing you may have said, how yeah. you've acted, your opinions, what you look like, which is just bullshit and it's predominantly on females and that is just so damaging and I have had that to some extent since I was 15 even pre-social media because mm. there's a, an awareness yeah. and I would love to sit here and say you know I'm really robust that's not affected me I mean it's absolutely flawed me at times it's um I'm a very sensitive person which is not conducive to being in the industry I'm in and mm. staying sane and I think a lot of people that I know peers that I work with and people I look up to are more robust and it is water off a duck's back. I'm not one of those people. So I have been absolutely flawed by criticism and feeling like a failure. And I'm not talking about just in my 20s. I feel it. Like, I felt it last week. Yeah. I feel it all the time. Yeah. And that is just a constant learning curve and something that actually acts now as an impetus to do better in the, the good work that I'm doing. It's a, a F funny old thing, social media, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, uh, Hannibal Buress had a thing about it on one of his sets ages ago. He said how weird it is that he could be walking down the street living his life and someone on the other side of the world can tell him he's shit. Yeah. Because he can just take his phone out, have a glance, there yeah. you go. And again, I think the biggest or, or one of the biggest bits of bullshit of, of, of our modern era is that, well... It's part and parcel of being a celebrity. It's mm. part and parcel of being in the public eye. It's like, no, it's they're they're humans. Yeah, they do. You get they're humans there, and sure. it will it will hit through. Yeah. If you if you like half the time, if you respond to someone who's negative, they'll then be like, oh, I just oh, it's lovely to hear from you. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I know, and all that kind of. It's like, fuck off. Yeah, I don't I, know. I don't want you as a fan if you're. <laughs> Just for attention or just yeah, for laughs, saying horrible yeah, yeah. stuff to people. Well, it's also looking at the difference between freedom of speech and being a dickhead, because yeah, there yeah. is a difference. Really and I is. think freedom of speech, brilliant. We are all allowed a space to have an opinion and say what we believe is true if it can cause positive change. Mm. If it's to cause negative change then you have to work through that on your own. You have to go away and think, why do I feel these feelings? Why... Why am I looking for negative change? If you're, you can still be vehemently passionate and emphatic in your line of, you know, rant or whatever it is, but only if you know you can make a positive change for, you know, for you, for the community that you, for li you live in, a specific group of people you believe need help. Yeah. Yes, have a really passionate rant or opinion about things. But when it is just mindlessly slagging someone off, yeah. what are you searching for apart from to elevate yourself out of the shit you feel you're in? Because yeah. that's all people are doing. We all know that, even when we've bitched about people, which everybody has, yeah, even though we course. don't like to admit it. 
It's because we want to elevate ourselves up from the lowness that we're in and go, well, this is wrong with them, so I must be a little bit better. That's all it is. But but people mix that up with freedom of speech and and especially people in the public eye. And I I sort of find the word celebrity very difficult to to even say because I've never seen myself in that or even know what it means you Mm. know my drive is my work and whatever else you know happens outside of that is secondary to what I'm producing and doing um but I on that you know sort of public platform you know you do get you get bombarded with outside noise and you have to have tools or a way of 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 negating it to some extent so that you can you know feel okay in yourself yeah I, th- I think people regularly mistake freedom of speech for f- f- freedom from consequence yeah and yeah that's yeah that's the big difference there mm. it's like you, you can have your freedom of speech but if it's something horrific you may well get piled on and, yeah. and again i think part particularly on social media i think the pylons are terrible and the, the cancel culture and all that kind of thing but it's 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 not freedom of speech and freedom from people disagreeing with you. Exactly. It's like no, you you if you've said something horrible, you need to be ready to defend that and justify. It. Otherwise, totally. it's what it is. It's, yeah. If you want to have a proper a debate about something, like go for it, get stuck in and see what the reaction is. But but yeah, you ha- like you say, you've got to be ready for that. If, and if you want to put yourself in that position, did do you have any techniques and approaches for dealing with it for yourself of mindfulness or of of not allowing these things to get for you, to you because they will get through at some point. It's feels almost embarrassing at times that someone who's built clearly a a fake profile, got Mm -hmm. no followers says something that someone whose opinions shouldn't mean anything to me. I know. Yet that one thing it will get through. And it's because of your own self doubt and own insecurities, but Mm -hmm. it will get through. Have you got any kind of, things that you do or why you look after yourself in that world because also like you say it's louder than the other voices there could be a thousand nice ones and one shit one but it's loud and they're all quite basic things running has become one to really move on with adrenaline and i think we all have an emotion that we will fast track to and mine is anger i get really fucking angry and i don't think people would necessarily assume that of me but (laughs) Anger is my thing and I get fucking fired up and I'm like a little pit bull and I don't know what to do with the energy. I will run so fast on those runs. I will do three miles in 26 minutes. I am sprinting those three miles and then I get back home and it's kind of dissipated. Like I'm all right. Um, I'm really lucky that I have a very supportive husband and he's also very sensitive and a big communicator. So, you know, I will be really honest and very delicate to him and say I feel like shit because this person said this about me and he will just ground me and just get me back to the things that I should give a shit about mm. and I'm very lucky that I've got that sort of support in my own home really That's fantastic. Um, I have relied on therapy in the past if there's been particularly sticky things that I've needed to move through and I've found it's got me to a really good point where I can then go on my own way Yeah, but it's just simple shit it's you know it's like cooking and it's drawing and it's playing with my kids like playing lego and it's normal stuff i think so often you know i I hate that what i do gets confused with like this new well-being kind of um world because at times i may may slip into it if it feels right yeah but the fundamental foundations of what i'm doing is seeped in the basic and the simple that's what happy is about my first book that's what the podcast is about finding simple pleasures that 
that give you a break and yeah. allow you to assimilate the millions of thoughts that we're thinking all the time and to feel okay and connected. And it is running, eating well, cooking, drawing, painting if I have time, writing, writing poetry, like just things that make me feel alive and good and can quieten down all of that bollocks. It's, it's quite, it's pleasing there that everything you listed is something that you can't do with your phone in your hand. Oh, they're the worst if you're feeling bad. I think it's, it's, it's really t- 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 telling. That. And, and again, they're, they're also all things that will distract your mind and busy your mind. But I don't think the rise in depression and mental health issues is coincidentally in time with the rise in yeah. smartphones and social media and that kind of thing. We've, we've got constant access to have our, our, our own doubts confirmed and, and and we've got minds to go and delve down to really back things up about yeah our self-doubt and things like that and i think it's it's a dangerous thing and a a, a, a worrying thing it is because we're we're looking at our self-worth in a new way like yeah. self-worth a hundred years ago probably wasn't even thought about it no. was just you know you were naturally confident or not and you yeah. may have a life epiphany where that changes but but more recently, our self-worth has been placed in the hands of others. So yeah. how many likes you get, you know, Silicon Valley know what they're doing. It's all yeah. based to be in a very addictive um, pursuit. It's, and it's turned us into a game. It's, it's turned, turned life into a, into a game. Games are addictive. I love games, but mm. they're addictive. And it's brought that into our world so it that has. we're constantly in that. It's just knowing it. I think if we talk about it more and everyone, you know, gets that. Because don't get me wrong. Like, I absolutely, if I'm feeling shit, won't always reach to those things that I know are going to help, like going for a run or having a nap sometimes. Wicked one. Sometimes I won't do that. I will go on my phone. I will scroll through and see what every other fucker's doing that looks better than what I'm doing. And I'll worry, why didn't I get asked to do that? Why is this person doing that? That person seems to be really nailing life right now. And I will go down that very obvious self-destructive path, even though I know. So you have to check yourself and go wait a minute, I know this isn't the answer. And then you let yourself off and go, right, that was a blip, like going and binge eating a load of shit or whatever, yeah. or watching loads of crap TV for a whole day. You go, right, I did that. It's fine. We'll move on. And I'll try not to do it next time. Yeah. It's all we can do. The letting yourself off is key there. That's what I was, I was, I was going to flag with it is because sometimes you need to wallow. Sometimes yeah. you need to, like I had a period where I was like, Am I am I depressed? And I kind of again in my typically analytic way, I sat down and went, "No, I've just had some really bad stuff happen recently, yeah. so I'm sad." Mm. And it's completely natural. Mm. And if I felt it was depression and it was spiraling and, and out of my control or irrational, yeah. I would have got help. Because again, I think we that, that's too, still too much of a taboo, even though it's yeah. so spoken about now. Still too much of a taboo that why why would be we'd be expected to be able to n- navigate this increasingly intense and bizarre world without any help. Mm, I know. Just just the, the basic day-to-day things. There's We get in these metal things that could kill us and yes. kill everyone around us. And we walk like around with them. And it's completely normal. We get in a tube and get rocketed into the sky. Yeah. And all these things that are, n- are normal and natural – we're not designed as humans to be able to handle the all of that. Speed so at what we're living. There's it's so mad. much that could get on top of us. So mm. getting help is valid. But, but equally, as said, accepting that sometimes you're allowed to be down, and that was, yeah. as I said, a big one for me. I'd I'd gone through some really r- r- rough stuff, and I was like, right, 
I'm going to be down for a, a bit. Yeah. It might be a few days. It might be a few Fine. weeks, but it's natural because yeah. of these things that have happened. It doesn't mean I'm broken. It doesn't mean I've failed. No. It, it's, it's, it's letting yourself off on all of those it's things. It's so important. It's really important what you said at the start because I recently was lucky enough to go and see Eckhart Tolle at the Albert wow. Hall, which yeah, was just yeah. the most exceptional evening of him freestyling, talking for three hours. It was just beautiful. Yeah. And he said, you know, say you're commuting to work in the morning, you're on a busy train and everyone's barging into you and, you know, it's really overwhelming and someone next to you stinks of BO and someone's eating an egg sandwich and it's all chaotic. You could in your head go, oh my God, I am so unhappy. But actually to look and go, right, people are budging into me. I'm a bit hot. Someone stinks over there. That's discomfort. Yeah. So you have to really look like you did that time to go, what is it that I'm feeling? It doesn't have to be instantly labelled you are unhappy because it's quite dangerous to title yourself with something like Mm. that or label yourself. You know, the depression thing is obviously much different and I myself was very... I think you feel very stuck and you don't feel... There's just nothing. It's nothingness. It's numbness. It it can't be rooted in, in... In rational, rational. In, absolutely in the same way. not. And I actually went on medication for about six months to just get my head above the ground for that one. And then I was able to really work out what to change and what to do next. But I think in life, you know, if you are on the tube or, or any situation in life or a relationship, a dynamic is is chaotic, is to look at what that is. Like, is it is it uncomfortable? Is mm. it is it stressing you out? Is it making you sad? And then accepting those they're seen as negative and positive emotions. They're not, they're just all emotions. Yeah. And there's value in all of them. The biggest, 100%. The biggest lessons I've learned and actually all of the beautiful work that I feel so lucky to be doing right now is because I felt so shit. Yeah. There's so much value in it. And I learned more than, I learned more in three years than I learned in the lifetime before that. And to seek out that value if you can to see how you might be malleable and able to make changes to see how others are there for you and that beauty and friendship and and the dynamics of that there's a lot to be said for all those emotions we're taught that they're bad and then these ones are good and that we're meant to like reach happiness which is on a desert island in the future and it doesn't work like that happiness is sporadic and it's going to come and go and we have to accept all of the emotions and and happiness is fantastic but the problem is when we feel that anything other than happiness is we're failing. We're failing, and that's wrong. We're doing something wrong, as you said, it is sporadic. It is. Yeah, it's meant to be. That's what. That, that's, that's why it's joyful. so great. That's why it's exciting. Exactly. But there's also something. Again, it's it's the nuance of all these things, and mm. particularly with mental health. The sad thing is, we've built a society more and more that we want a solution, yeah, a, a, a one stop solution, and, and we have it uh, uh, with everything with the environment. We want. It's like no, all of the things being suggested are the solution. But people argue over, well, I think this is the solution. Mm. Or, well, I think this. No, it's going to be all of them. It's going to be a combination. Um, and it's similar with mental health, which makes it really tough because people will speak of the negative effect of going on medication because for that person, it was a negative effect. But for some people, it's literally the perfect s- 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 solution. And, and that becomes so troubling. And, and the nuance of emotions as well. Sometimes feeling bad for a bit because you're working so hard is worth it for the feeling when that job's complete and it's amazing and Mm. you get to go, ah, I worked Mm. really hard at that and it was a struggle, but now I've got it, it's worth every moment. But it's nuanced because if that struggle is your whole life and you're always telling yourself 
it's a means to an end. I'm working towards something. At some point, you have to go. So where's this end? Exactly. That we keep talking about because yeah. if you're just living in the struggle, then maybe switch things up. Maybe what you're aiming for isn't quite worth the the you're juices so or worth right. the squeeze. You're as, as so such. right. It's how it's how you 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 look at those emotions and and what's worth it. And I think one of the things recently that I've been more uh, aware of personally is physically what's happening to me because so I had like this big chunk of depression and then I I I went on medication and then I kind of worked out some changes in life and I alleviated a lot of the you know the shame and the stuff that I was feeling around certain things then I had other shit go on in my life and and then it became panic was this new arrival right. that I, I had never experienced and that was a very physical manifestation of of stuff that I couldn't deal with and I couldn't process. Yeah. And, you know, I still haven't, I should get my shit together and try, but I haven't driven on a motorway for about three years because that right. is an absolute trigger going above, say, 50 miles an hour. I I just can't, I can't do it. And I spin out and I can't breathe and I get double vision and I feel like I'm going to faint. And, and for, I mean, studies have said that it's one of the, the, the reasons that we've got kind of these heightened emotions because driving mm. over 50 or 60 miles an hour you're constantly to do it safely you're constantly in a state of alertness and panic because yeah, yeah. you have to be ready to yeah oh, i'm going to swerve this way i'll do that it's it's not a, a natural thing so the more we put ourselves through that the more that's going to affect our general level of, totally. of that tension. So and that you, makes perfect sense to yeah, me. Yeah, and you've that's... got to really like look at what is causing it. So for me, you know, driving was like a sign, something's not right, let's mm. address it. But then there's all the other stuff in life I had to deal with that I needed to change to to reduce that panic. And even this has been going on even until recently. Um, I was getting really bad panic attacks at night. So I've right. had insomnia a bit on and off. It's actually not too bad at the moment. But in the night, I would literally tried to go to sleep and then all these thoughts were happening and then my heart would start racing like I was literally sprinting that fast and I couldn't breathe and my brain wouldn't switch off and and it was horrible because you're it's it's pitch black there's no one to talk to my husband's asleep yeah um I don't want to wake him up and piss him off and there's ages there's There's hours hours and hours hours and you're then going why am I such a fuck up? Why can't I just sleep like normal people? Yeah. You know, you beat yourself up. It's a terrible cycle to be in. So rather than go, how do I approach this sleep problem? I've had to go, how do I approach my life? What is causing mm-hmm. this to happen? And sometimes make changes that feel really sad to make. You know, a lot of work having to say goodbye to it because yeah. I can't have it in my life anymore or some relationships that you don't feel are quite working out or need to change the dynamic of the relationship or whatever. So there's been a lot of shifting for me personally to get to a place where panic's not really about so much anymore for me, which I feel very grateful about. The sleep thing's on off, but that's because I've got kids as well or whatever. But the panic's going a bit. And be aware of and be conscious of because... Again, I mean, we spoke on 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 Happy Place a lot about reframing things and, and reapproaching things, and that's one of the ways I've dealt with some of my insomnia. Because there's been points where I'm laying there and I can't sleep, and then I've gone, "Well, I've got a lot on at the moment, yeah. so that's why I'm awake." No matter what breathing techniques I do or whatever else, yeah, it's not going to work because there's just a lot on. I'm working from home tomorrow, so it's not important if I sleep or not just kind of having that kind of taking that pressure off of it taking and going the pressure off it's all right if i don't sleep 
it's going to be all right. Let's submit to this and have this big thinking thing. And then hopefully it will feel much better or I'll tire myself out or whatever else. Mm. Rather than going, exactly as you said, what I did for years and years of going... Well, how long's left? I've only got. Oh, I've not got any awful. sleep yet, and I've got to be up, and this and that, and it's. Yeah. It becomes a self-perpetuating. It's the perfect example of of panic attacks and things like that. Where if you're panicking about your heart, it's going to become a self-fulfilling. Oh, completely. Obviously, because your heart is going to race more and more. And you're yeah. Like, Am I having a heart attack? Yeah. And then it's going to seem more like you're having a heart attack. Yeah. I, I think I'm having. A, I'm definitely having a heart attack. That's got worse. It's. It's, it fulfills itself. But it's... I think often, rather than, like, I've been offered, why, why don't you take these sleeping pills before you have big jobs the next day? Or why don't you take beta blockers just to, like, calm your heart rate down? Which I did both of for a little while. And then I was like, but that's not the problem. That's the result. Yeah. The problem is something happening in the day, in whatever area of my life, that I need to change. And yeah. change is scary for all of us, and we will avoid it at all costs. And yeah. we will take sleeping pills, and we will take beta blockers, or whatever it is that you do yeah. to get through it. But that's just merely your body saying, you've got to sort, that you've got to change something. Yeah. So I'm much you, better these days at looking at that, and then finding the symptom the rather than the cause. Absolutely. In, in that race. That's amazing. So how's the difference been between working on radio for years to working on podcasts because I feel you've spoken of or finding new levels of comfort and openness and I think at times when you repeatedly have guests who are so fucking amazing mm. and so honest and open <laughs> you suddenly start to think I need to be more honest and open and and I, I know I certainly had that I distraction pieces started to get early on this reputation for such an open and honest thing and I was getting all this praise and I was thinking I ain't doing shit. I'm just sitting there while these amazing people are pouring their hearts out. And it helped me because it helped me kind of it put that pressure on me to go, you need to chip in as well. You can't just, just let them carry all the weight. You, you need to be going, you, you know what? I struggle with this and I struggle yeah. with that. Have you found that in podcasting? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I've had some real like, seminal moments in in my podcasting life, which I feel so grateful for. And I think it's why we all just keep... Well, like I'm obsessed with doing podcasts. Yeah, I don't yeah. want it to ever end. This yeah, is this same. is not a phase. This is just like we're doing podcasts forever now. I and you've been doing it long it. enough for people to have argued it was a phase for a decent amount of time, yeah, yeah, and yeah, now yeah. now we're starting to see people going. All right, it's a podcast. Yeah, thing. totally. Like, I know they've been my life for many years now. Yeah, but... I am like you <laughs> are. Like it's it's a joy. It's a total joy, yeah. and I've had some real lucky moments. Like. When Megan Jane Crab came on the series, right. uh, she's Body Poddy Posy Panda on Instagram. She talks all about body positivity, and she was it was at the Happy Place Festival. And as I said, I'd never talked about my own relationship with my body before, and because I was still, you know, it was all shrouded in shame and embarrassment and lots of weird things going on in my head. And she was being massively soul bearing and and articulate and wonderful about body image and how we feel about ourselves and how culturally we've been indoctrinated to hate ourselves and then to therefore buy things or whatever. And a sort of a light bulb went off in my head and a light bulb moment. And then I thought, I can't just sit here not saying anything. So I started to sort of allude to the fact that 
I've really struggled with that over the years. Mm. And and I kind of opened up to her a little bit. We had like a large audience, so it was quite a bizarre... It was just, I was going with the moment. I hadn't yeah. planned to do this. It's the beauty of that kind of pressure, right? It that was. Like, it, just well, it felt in. right, though. Like, yeah. you know, you have a feeling like, should I say this or should I... Because it's very free, this medium. So yeah. you have to really, like, go with your guts. Does this feel like the right area to move into? And it just did. Yeah. And she said so many things. And I went away the next day... And I, something had shifted in my consciousness and it was like a weight had been lifted and I felt relieved and um, less alone in it. And I'd never talked about this sort of subject before. So yeah, that helped me open up. And since I've been doing a lot more work personally on that, but also I've been talking a bit bit more about it. So yeah, I think I've had quite a lot of those moments where the guest has pushed me into new territory, which has been actually really cathartic and liberating yeah to make you realize stuff well yeah i'm I'm gonna start to wrap things up at the as we're at the hour mark there's loads i wanted to talk to you about but obviously uh, we haven't because we've both got excited at some point yeah or kind of a part three um (laughs) so but there's one thing i did want to talk about is 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 copperfield Mm. um you've worked with them for ages i remember i did some stuff with them at festivals in their really early days when they just when we were there doing press, they'd just come over and go, can we have a photo doing this and, and, and these kind of things. The thing I've loved about them is they're getting a really important subject and they're getting it out there in the more normal places. They, they're going to festivals or they've always been going to festivals and they've been having fun with it and messing around with it. It's never felt like a you need to check your breasts for, for lumps because you'll die. Do it. It's not. It's not a judging or telling off thing. It's not going. Look, let's have some fun with this. Mm, they're so amazing. Just, so, so, how have they been to work with? Oh, and you've, you've done a lot to push them and do shows and festivals. I'm and all so sorts. glad that you brought this up. So, actually, on Saturday this week, uh, I don't know what that date is in October. Um, that's tomorrow. Bloody hell! It's tomorrow. <laughs> Shit. So the 12th of October, which is tomorrow, yep. we've got our big annual music festival. So we've oh. been doing this for 10 years. It's our 10 year anniversary, and. Uh, the, the Copperfield Festival is called Festafeel. Yeah. And we are in the brilliant venue, the House of Vans, which is so gorgeous yes. and unique inside. And we just have a massive party. And it just really celebrates the essence of what the charity is about. So it is a breast cancer awareness charity, but it's about, you know, getting a young crowd to understand this is not a subject just for women who are going through the menopause. This is for all ages of men and women. Uh, I should say women and men. Um, And it's about creating that awareness, um, celebrating life and celebrating the amazing work that Chris, the founder of the charity, has done. So I, I randomly met her at an event it's got to be close to 10 years ago. It was a little after they'd started the charity. Yeah. And she came over. She was currently having chemotherapy at the time. So, I mean, she's the most gorgeous looking human you've ever seen. But she had this beautiful, shiny, bald head. She walked over, stuck a sticker on my boob and was like, I run Copperfield. You need to know about it. And I was like, who is this dreamy force of nature? <laughs> and we just became great mates. And we're like, you know, best buds. I see her as much as I possibly can. She's a force of nature. She's living with cancer. She does not let it define her in any sense. She does exactly what she wants and she makes that shit happen. So I know tomorrow we are going to have the most glorious time with new people coming along to not really understanding what the charity is about, walking away, 
getting it, appreciating their own health, checking their boobs every day, but as you said, not in a preachy way, yeah. and having seen some bloody great music. We've got we've got James Bay there tomorrow and Tom Grennan and Feeder and, you know, Clara Ampho's DJing and just like a, a beautiful selection of things to be involved in. And and everyone's nice and lovely. So, yeah, I'm I'm emphatically passionate about what they do. I, I love, love it, it that it's just always seemed genuinely fun. It's it not felt like a charity trying to do the fun angle. No. It's like, it just always, it always seems like a party. A friend of mine, Jess Megan has worked with them a lot and a lot of her posts on, on social media around the times of events, they're just, they're just a bloody laugh. It's and great. It's, it's yeah. great. Honestly, it's just how I think charitable initiatives should be, um, you know, approached because yeah. it engages people. And that's what you want at the end of the day, people to Completely. walk away with a sense of what your message is, but also to how they can apply that to their own life to to make it better and also to be part of a movement, you know, because yeah. she's creating the most amazing change and um, and saving lives. Like, I know it always sounds quite sort of earnest to say it, whether, but she's saving lives, for God's quite, sake. People have... Quite literally, yeah. Yeah, people have contacted her and gone... Fucking hell, saw your TV advert, checked my boobs, found a lump, had it removed. Yeah. That's the end of the story and it's a happy ending. Yeah. So, yeah, it's what amazing, she's doing right? is is quite phenomenal. So, so I'll wrap things up. Uh, what's ahead? It's, you, you seemed, you've, you've in, in recent years, you've, you've walked away from certain things, you've made certain changes and it's, it's beautiful to see. It's genuinely inspirational to sit and talk and to, because again, as we touched upon in in this industry, it's always well. Here's the next place that, that mm-hmm. you're meant to go. There's mm-hmm. always a set route. Well, the last person who presented this show went on to do this. Yeah, so that's what you should be doing. And you've you've m- managed to pull the emergency cord on that train yeah. and be at the platform going, uh, which train do, do I want to get on? I totally. was on that one, but I now I might be back on that train, but I can choose now. And it feels like an exciting time. So, what is is there a plan? What's ahead? You know what? It's interesting because there's never really been a set plan. I did pull, pull the emergency cord. I yeah. knew I had to get off. It wasn't serving me in any way. I was feeling shitter and shitter about myself. So I knew I had to create my own... I hate the word content, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had to create mm-hmm. my own thing and my own path and to be my own boss, essentially, because what I wanted to do didn't fit into anything else. I'd go to meetings at TV you know, stations and they'd go, mm, it's a bit nebulous. Don't know if we can touch that. And I'd walk away going, how can you not get this? Yeah. So now I'm just fucking doing it anyway. So what is next is loads of exciting stuff that we are being a bit more thoughtful and uh, and doing a bit more planning towards. So the Happy Place Festival is absolutely happening again next year. We've booked Great. the venues. It might be expanding in ways, but not in a sense that it's getting bigger per venue because I want it to feel relaxed and intimate still Beautiful. but there's expansion um the podcast as we've already discussed is going on till i die yeah. you know hopefully when i'm an old you know woman i'll be sat here waffling on still um and then there's lots of interesting things there's a charity initiative that we're desperate to get off the ground for next year that i believe happy place can really be at the forefront of something to again create pockets of community with people that feel like they're not in a group or a gang um in quite a nice easy way so that's something that is imminent um and there's some nice little offshoot things you know i'm i'm bringing in lots of stuff that i love into my career that i hadn't before that i was sort of nervous to like drawing I love drawing and now I'm bringing that into elements I'm getting commissioned to do lots of design work which is amazing yeah um so there's lots of nice little natural tangents I'm going off on 
And I'm just open to see where Happy Place could go next, as long as it's doing good, connecting people and creating a, a sense of relief because it's not happiness. That's, you know, that's misleading. It's not like yeah. do all this shit and feel happy. It's it's relief and it's connection. Then I will move in that direction. I love that. And I love that um, because, again, coming from the industry that you're, you've come from and are in, there will be people going... I love Happy Place. Is it going to be a TV show? Is it going to be a radio show? It's like, no, it's it's, what it's, it is. it's already the end goal. Yeah. We just want to continue to grow that and make yeah. it better. I've had that with TV companies or radio companies approach me about my podcast. They're like, oh, could we do it? It's like, no, the reason it works is because it's not in any of those realms. Mm. It works because it has to be here. We can grow it. We can expand it. But it's not a stepping stone mm. that you may think it is. So, yeah. yeah. It just has to, to exist as it is, and then grow organically, yes. however it does. That's perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, Pip. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Right, yeah. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Fern. As I said in the intro, I really enjoyed that chat. I really... Fern is someone... I've kind of... We've, 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 we've corresponded every now and then over the years. She, she played a track or two of mine back in the day. In fact, I, was, I enjoyed that conversation so, so much we didn't get into much Radio 1 stuff. I, was, I, I had planned to talk about that, but... I don't know, the more intimate and personal direction it went in, I thought was kind of beautiful. So I didn't want to shoehorn it back to... So when you took over from J- Joe Wiley and what was largely known as the most powerful slot in uh, in the music industry on Radio 1 um, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I left it as it was and it was lovely. Um, right, I'll leave it all there. If you can check out the Pod Bible podcast, that'd be great. Uh, me and Fern talk about Pod Bible... Um, Oh, we had a good chat about it. We're going to be collaborating with Fern on some Pod Bible bits in the coming months. But the Pod Bible podcast is out every Monday and it's only 20 minutes long. And we chat to, I mean, everyone from the off menu guys, James A. Castro and Ed Gamble, to no such thing as a fish guys, to the drunk women solving crime, the birthday girls house party, everyone, honestly, everyone. It's madness. Jade Adams, Rich Wilson, tons of good people on there. And it's a little short podcast to kick your week off. So go back and check that out. You could could binge all of the ones out so far in like a couple of hours of that. So yeah, I'll see you all next week when I'm joined by Rich32. We had a really good chat. It was another one. I've not met Rich before, but I knew we'd click and it really, it flowed beautifully. So that's out. That's out next week. Oh, I gave a film recommendation on 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 socials this week. M- monos. I was, I was trying to line up a chat w- with the director, and it never happened. But um, I can't recommend that film enough. It's amazing, and it's a it's a big screen watch. Um, it's probably only going to be in the cinemas for a week or two. But visually, it's a big screen watch. But more importantly, audibly, audibly, audio, audiobly, sound like wise stuff it's it's a big screen watch because 
it makes you think of I know a lot of people talked about it with Dunkirk but it really it's so jarring at points that it adds it really changes the experience of watching it so uh yeah get into cinemas and watch that if you can it won the London Film Festival so um it's good uh yeah anyway as I said I will be back next week with Wretch 3 2 until then ta-ta